as many of you know, Hadley, our daughter, the one we're taking to Minnesota, she got really ill in 2016 on a ventilator, a lot of time in the hospital. While we were there, that initial, she lost, uh, that initial season, she lost her ability to talk, and she was a talker. She lost that ability. She lost the ability to eat, to swallow, um, movement. Um, it was just a, it was a difficult time. But then with good doctors, God works through doctors. With good medication, God works through medication. And a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer. Um, Hadley improved and we returned home and she regained all of those things that she had, had lost. Well, one day, shortly after we returned home, I was outside uh, mowing and weed eating. And you know I'm weird, church. But to me, being on a lawnmower is like a happy place. Is anybody else weird like me? Yeah, um, there's something about riding a lawnmower where it's just you, the sunshine, the smell of fresh cut grass, and there's just something kind of nice about mowing it and seeing those straight lines uh, and listening to a podcast where it's just you and God and, and nature. That's what I was doing, and I was listening to a podcast, and I can remember, you know, you can think back, this has been six years, and you can sort of remember where you were that day. Um, I was on the lawnmower. I was listening to a podcast by a guy named William Lane Craig, and he said this. He said, typically, God does not rescue us. Typically, God doesn't rescue us. And he, and he sort of qualified the statement. He said, now, he rescues us from our sin. He rescues us from spiritual eternal death. He said, but it, it's a rarity in life when God swoops in and saves us from difficult circumstances. And I remember hearing that, and it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like it. And I really respect this guy as a philosopher and as a, as a theologian, but I didn't like what he had to say because I knew that God had intervened in our daughter's life in this amazing way. Her neurologist was stunned at her progress and her recovery, and I knew that God had, had answered prayer, that he was really gracious in not taking our daughter from us. However, the reason that I didn't like that statement was because I had an emotional reaction to it. Because I want God to swoop in and rescue me, don't you? Whenever bad things happen, I want him to say, no, 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 that's my baby right there. We're not going to let bad things happen to you. That's what, that's what I, I want. I want a God who saves me from every single bad thing. And sometimes God does. Sometimes he does. And I've seen it. I've witnessed it countless times. But often he doesn't. And if you look around, it's apparent because people get sick and people die and sometimes we go through difficult circumstances and as a pastor my heart frequently hurts for people as they tell me just the things that they're going through as a counselor I can remember when we me and Devin got our license and we first started practicing in private practice um, some of the stories that I would hear people tell and I would just think gracious how did you endure that even young kids eight, nine, or ten years old as they would come and as they would unpack their trauma, the abuse that they've gone through, the things that they've seen that no grown person should ever see, you think, my goodness. But you can take comfort in this phrase, God won't give you any more than you can handle. Is that true? I don't think it is at all, church. I think it's kind of bogus, actually. Uh, so last week, we began a, a new summer series. We're calling it slogans, and a slogan is a short, uh, memorable statement that just kind of gets stuck in your head. And we've seen it in advertisement for years where they'll come up with these taglines, these slogans, and 10 years down the road, you still remember it. 
I laughed this, this past week because last Sunday I quoted an old commercial, Where's the Beef? And I had a younger member text me, and she said, I had to look up what this was from. So you fall into one of two categories. You remember where the beef is because you grew up with it, or it's like, what, what is that? But that's so old, and it still stays stuck in your head. Now, sometimes in our culture, phrases get repeated and, and sort of these ideas, these slogans get thrown out there and maybe they, they sound good. Maybe they even sound Christian and they get shared on social media and they get promoted and maybe they even feel helpful. But some of them just aren't true. They just don't stack up. So today we're looking at the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. Last week we looked at the phrase, live your truth. We said this, there's only one truth. Now, there's not my truth and your truth. It is a, a single truth. It's how reality is structured. And we say that truth is found within the pages of Scripture. This Sunday, we're going to challenge the assertion that God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, there's some truth to this statement. However, I think the phrase is very, very misleading. And so we're going to unpack it together. You with me, church? All right. So let's begin here. Let's ask, is the statement biblical? Because that should be, as Christians, that should be our, our ground level. Um, we should hold fast to what is good. So I want to begin with where I think this phrase most likely originated. And, and I, I hear Christians sometimes say it, well-meaning, God won't give you more than you can bear. God won't give you more than you can handle. I think it comes from, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 13. As the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church, they were one of those churches that gave Paul a lot of trouble as he tried to shepherd and lead them and instruct them in God's truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. He says, and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, what you can handle. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, to my knowledge, this is the only verse in Scripture that even hints that God won't give us more than we can handle. But if you notice, it's specific. It says God won't give you more what than you can handle? Temptation. And even in that, it doesn't say that just what you can handle, it, it refers to, to Christ. It says that he is faithful and he will provide a way out of temptation that you might be able to endure it. Now, as you look at the context of this verse, it becomes apparent what Paul is saying. Let's review context a little bit. Uh, anytime we read scripture, we should always pay close attention to context. And there are different kinds of context. There's the historical context. That is to say, you've probably noticed that culture changes quickly, doesn't it? That modernity, the times we live in now, is a lot different than first century Palestine. Uh, the culture is drastically different. And so if you're going to read scripture, it's helpful if you have some understanding about what the culture was like then. Even certain phrases that they used that we don't use, their humor was different than ours is. And so we should also know a little bit about the author who's writing it, why he's writing it, the audience that receives it. There's the grammatical context that certain sentence structure changes the way you view it. Commas are important. There's the literary context. What kind of language is being used? Because sometimes our language is figurative. Sometimes it's literal. Some of the writings are biographical. Some of it's narrative. 
And then who determines the meaning of what's written in Scripture? Is that the reader or the author? Should be the author, correct? Now, we live in a time where people will say, well, you determine the meaning. No, we discover the meaning. The author is the one who's writing something specifically. And who is the author of God's Word? Well, it's God, and God used a human agent, their personality, their style of writing, to communicate truth to us. And so, in church, sometimes we hear it, well, what does this passage mean to you? And what does this passage mean to you? And what does this passage mean to you? Well, it means the same thing to every single one of us, though it might be applied differently depending on our circumstances. But as we look at the, the context here, what are the verses before 1 Corinthians ten thirteen? What do they say? What's the context? Paul is offering a warning to the Corinthian church, and he's using the, the wilderness wanderings where Moses led the people through the wilderness for 40 grueling years. He's using that as a warning to the Corinthians and also as a warning to us. Go back to verse 6. I want you to take a look because context is important. He says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He says, Do not be idolaters as some of them did. It is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. God is all love, but he's also, his, his word has some bite to it as well. Verse 9, he says, We should not test Christ as some of them did who were killed by snakes. And don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. He says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, handle, endure. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, once again, the context is temptation. And so while we're here, let's talk about temptation for a few moments. There is, first thought is this, under is it biblical, there is always a way to escape temptation as a believer. There's always a way to escape temptation as a believer. Look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. There's a warning. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul wants us to understand that we are continually vulnerable to temptation. And perhaps at times as a Christian, we get to a place where we think, I don't have to worry about this anymore because I've grown so much and I know better and I've learned my lesson. I'm never going to do that again. Have you ever said that? It's famous last words sometimes, is it not? Paul's saying we need to be on our guard because it's so easy to sin. It comes naturally. Now, I know it's hard to believe this about your pastor, but it comes naturally to me to sin. Then he says this in the first part of verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Well, what does Paul mean by that? He means your temptation isn't special. He means that sometimes we think, I am the only person that struggles in this way. I'm the only person that struggles with fill in the blank. Nobody else has to endure the temptation here that I endure. And because it's, it's hard and nobody else has to endure it like I have to endure it, sometimes I give in and I do it. Paul is saying, well, we all differ in what our temptations are. Many people struggle with the exact same temptation. That we're not special. 
We're not unique. We all struggle, some of us differently, but many of us in the exact same way. He says, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. However, listen to this, God is faithful, Christian. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, here it all comes into focus. For Christians, because we have Christ, because God is faithful, that he will provide a way out of temptation. Now, before you become a Christian, this is much different because the book of Romans says that we were slaves to sin. And it was very, very difficult to choose to do the right thing before we become a Christian. Why is that? Because before Christ, we are very self-serving people. Our hearts are oriented toward self. And even sometimes in our benevolence and generosity, it still has a self-serving feature. This is the the nature of sin. But in Christ, we have this, this hope that we're not doomed to keep repeating the same sins over and over and over. As we sang this morning, that Christ is a chain breaker. That even sin that has perhaps been in our family for generations can be broken through the power of Christ. This gives us hope that we can overcome any temptation in our lives. And some temptations are difficult to break. Some persistent sin is difficult to to break. And I, I find this that even in temptation, perhaps at times it's more than we can handle alone, but what does he say? Christ enters into the picture that he's faithful and that he will provide a means of escape. And so that means when we're on our cell phone and we see something that we should not see, what can we do? We can close it out. You know, technology has been a blessing in many ways, but it's also been a cursing. Did you know this? that 90% of children will be exposed to pornography before the age of 12. So prevalent, and it's in your hands, it's in your pocket, you take it everywhere. However, through Christ, any temptation we have that pops up on the phone can be X'd out. When you're watching a movie and something shows up, you can turn the channel. When you are in a group of people and the conversation bends itself toward talking bad about somebody, That idea of gossip, well, it's true. It it is true, but it's still gossip, is it not? That you as a Christian can walk away, or even better yet, you can say, hey, we're all Christians here. Isn't our speech supposed to be savory and seasoned with salt? Aren't we supposed to build up the body of Christ? But it sounds to me like we're, we're tearing things down. You'll never see a conversation change quicker when you throw water on that fire. It means when it's easy to to lie and cover something up that we can choose instead through the power of Christ to tell the truth. It means when we're angry and, oh, we just want to let let it out. That in Christ, we can say, God, give me composure and help me to control my anger. It means when we want to lash out and hurt someone because they've hurt us, because hurt people hurt people. It means when we want to remain bitter that we can choose to forgive. Christian, odds are you know your biggest source of temptation. I'm sure you do. You know the thing that can trip you up more than anything else. However, through Christ, we can escape temptation. Now, I think we have to be wise as Christians. That means you need to have a plan in place. If there's, the Apostle Paul described his sin as the sin that so easily besets me. 
that sin in your life, you need to have a plan in place. When temptation comes, that you have some guardrails, maybe multiple guardrails, that you have to fall through those to get to temptation. It also means this, that when life gets really tough, when life gets difficult and you are tempted to cope with life in a sinful way, that in that moment God will still provide a means of escape. So the phrase originated, I think, out of that passage, but I also want you to hear what Jesus has to say about life. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to see this. There will be difficulties. There will be difficulties. John 16, Jesus said this. He says, I've said these things to you that you might have peace. Oh, I love peace. God's promises bring peace. But he says this, in the world, that is to say, in this system, in the, where we live out our lives, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus makes this promise, and this is one of the promises of Jesus I don't like, that in this world, you're going to have trouble. Expect it. Expect it that times are going to be difficult. Jesus also said this in John 13, 16. He said, truly, truly. Whenever somebody says truly, truly, it means listen, listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What do, we, what do you mean, Jesus? It means if I'm a Christian and that Jesus is my master, I'm not going to exceed my master. And if my master went through insults, difficulty, broken relationships, betrayal, persecution, even death, why should I expect my life to be smooth sailing for all of my days? Now, sometimes Christianity gets twisted, and we, we have to thank the prosperity gospel peddlers for this who tell us, we know what, and we're going to get into this deeper next Sunday, that, that God just wants your life to be wrinkle-free. That, that God wants everything to be wonderful and he wants you to have a full bank account. And if you just do A, B, and C, then God is going to bless, bless, and bless. But I'm not greater than my master. Why should I expect a life of, of smooth sailing? Now, please don't misunderstand me. At times, God does intervene, and I've seen it. I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen people, I'll give you some testimony from my own family. My grandfather had stomach cancer, and they gave him a year to live. And that man went into, they, they, he was healed of his cancer. Of course, God used doctors, but the initial prognosis was horrible. And he lived another decade. I've seen my own daughter, where God intervened, where I, she was in a very, very bad place. And I think through prayers and, and God's, miraculous work he intervened with my wife we just found this news out a month ago and it could have gone very very differently but here we are but the truth is scripturally this is what God's word says we'll have times of trouble and sometimes we think well God promised to shield me when in actuality Jesus promised you're going to have times of difficulty and times of trouble so our next thought is this that we are given more than we can handle Sometimes it's emotionally, sometimes it's physically, sometimes it's relationally. And when people we love, when those relationships are, are broken or having a difficult time, that is hard to endure. It's hard to bear that. Sometimes it's psychologically or spiritually. But I've sat with people that say, I don't know what to do. 
I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know which way is up. My world is crumbling. God will give us, or I should at least say allow us, sometimes to go through more than we, can, we feel like we can endure. And let me appeal to the Apostle Paul here, because when I look at Paul, I think, what a man. What an incredible Christian. And we see all that Paul did, but Paul was a man just like we are. Let me appeal to his writing in 2 Corinthians 1.8. Here's what Paul says. He says, for we don't want you to be unaware. That is, we want you to know. We want you to have the full insight here. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, I don't know what this affliction was. But Paul says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. He says, we were burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. What's Paul saying? He's saying the situation we were placed in was beyond anything we could handle ourselves. It was beyond what we could bear in our own strength. And at times, friends, we will find ourselves in situations beyond our control. We will find ourselves uh, in situations beyond our means to manage and perhaps even beyond our ability to cope with. Jesus promised we'll have tribulations. Now let's ask this. Why is this phrase a problem? Well, number one, I don't think it's really true. The fact is, it's not supported by Scripture. Now, God won't, as Christians, God won't give us more temptation than we can handle through him. But God will allow things into our lives that are incredibly difficult. Why is this saying a problem? Well, I think it gives us false expectations, especially for new believers, where if we become a Christian, and it's amazing when you become a Christian, isn't it? Because you see this change in your life where God is working things out that you know aren't good for you, and you see just this dramatic change. And sometimes as new Christians, we think, well, look what God is doing, and God is going to shield me from the bad things. Or perhaps we've sort of bought into this, this false gospel that God's not going to give bad things to his people. And when bad things come, we feel disappointed with God. Or we feel let down. Or maybe we even feel angry at God. Or like God has broken a promise to us. It leads to false expectations. I also think another reason this phrase is problematic is because it just isn't helpful. When you're experiencing loss, or you're at the graveside of a, of a family member, and someone says, well, God won't give you more than you can handle, your thought is, well, how much worse can it get? Because sometimes you think this is as bad as it could possibly get. I feel completely overwhelmed. I feel like I'm drowning. And I think in moments where we want to offer encouragement to people, I think maybe perhaps we should say things like, can I remind you of what Scripture says? That God will never leave you or forsake you. Or perhaps maybe can I remind you that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Or, or maybe I can remind you from scriptures that through Christ, we are more than conquerors. But certainly God will allow into your life more than you can handle. Now, as per our usual last week and this week, I think we need a better slogan. Can you agree, church? Amen? So how about, instead of God won't give you more than you can handle, how about if we change it to God won't give you more than he can handle. And here's the good news. God has really big shoulders. 
But God is faithful and he's able to carry our burdens. So much so that he tells us, cast all your cares upon me. Because he cares for me. That he can carry the load. That there will be times where we're in over our heads, but God is never in over his head. It's the reason that Christians can face tragedy and trials, even martyrdom, because of Christ. It's why David would say in the 23rd Psalm, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. But maybe you're asking this morning, well, why does he give us more than we can handle? Well, we have to remember, church, the difficulty that we see in, in our lives and in the world is because we live in a fallen world. It's because sin always brings suffering. And as a Christian, as a Christian, every time I sin, it's not because somebody else made me. It's not because my circumstances are so hard. It's not because the devil made me do it. It's because I chose to do it. And every time I willfully choose to sin, and every time I sin, it is willful, it leads to suffering in my life. And because we live in a fallen world, suffering exists in many different forms. However, this is the amazing thing to me about Christianity and reason to celebrate, is even during our trials and our hardships and our sufferings, we serve a God who is so sovereign and so good that he is able to use those trials and difficulties in our lives. But why does God allow us in our lives more than we can handle. Let me give you a couple reasons real quick as we close out. I think, first of all, to get our attention. You know, pain gets our attention quick, doesn't it? And sometimes God needs to get our attention and remind us of what's truly valuable and important in this life. And God will use pain to reorient us. I've appealed to C.S. Lewis here before. I have to again. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. And God will use our pain to get us to attend to the things that are important. Why else does God allow us in our lives more than we can handle? I think number two, to mature us. Let me go to Jesus' half-brother, James, quickly. James 1, 2 through 3. This is, when you first read this, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. The longer you grow in your Christian walk, the more you understand, which is the way it is with much of Scripture. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials, not if you meet trials, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you experience trials, it leads to steadfastness. When we trust in the Lord through difficulty, it produces steadfastness. When we're given more than we can handle, but we trust God through us, it grows us up. Produces a steadfastness of faith. We come to understand that no matter what happens, that Christ is with us. And when you look back and you see, man, God was with me then through this difficult time. I'm in another difficult time. God will not leave me here. Trust in God is very much like a muscle. It gets broken down. It gets torn up. It gets, it gets grown up. James 1.4, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, for years, I worked in a mental hospital as a therapist. There was another therapist there. His name, her name was Carol Cavanaugh. And this is what she would always say. I heard her say it a billion times, I think, and it's lodged in my brain. Speaking of slogans, this was hers. She would say, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. That's how it is with trials. You have to go through them. You can't escape them, but God will be with us through them. And you can endure trials in one of two ways. 
you can endure trials knowing that God is with me, that he's using this to grow me up, to produce steadfastness, to create something in me good that wasn't there before. God, I'm going to lean into it. God can't grow us up without our cooperation. Or on the other side of things, we can go kicking and screaming and griping. Which one is going to produce in us something good? Why else does God allow more in our lives than we can handle? I think it teaches us to depend on God. It teaches us to depend on God. The longer I live, the more that I understand that I can rely on God, that he's trustworthy, that he's present. When I'm handed more than I feel like I can handle, and I depend on God, and he carries me through that. He walks with me. I learn to trust him more. You know, sometimes we wonder, you know, God, why do you allow these things? And I, I've thought this before, church, and this is just me, me thinking. If God swooped in and rescued me every time I stubbed my toe, would I love God because in him is something good and true and beautiful? Or would I love God just because of what God does for me? Now, in my marriage, I want my wife to love me because she sees something in me that's admirable. Not because I take care of her, I do things for her, and I say nice things to her. I think God wants the love that we have for him to be because of who he is and who he is is good. First Peter 5, 7 reminds us, I can cast my cares on him knowing that he cares for me. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Last thought this morning, I want you to see this, church, that we have what we need in Jesus Christ. And I want to close with, with the Apostle Paul again. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Paul's speaking here of this thorn in his flesh, he describes it. Many people have theorized, what is this? We don't fully know. But there was something in Paul's life that was a problem for him that ate him up that he wanted it to get rid of. Let me read to you what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. God, would you intervene and take this out of my life? But he said to me, listen to this. This is a beautiful passage. He said to me, Paul, you could enter your name in here. I'll say, Josh, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Remember, the servant is not greater than the master. Then Paul says this, for when I'm weak, then I am made strong. God says, my grace is sufficient. That is to say, it's more than enough. We have more than we need. And in our weakness, when we realize that we are truly frail, in that we serve a God who is strong. And God will not give us more than he can handle. So church, let me ask you, where are you at this morning? Anytime we read scripture, it always calls for a response from us. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you were giving in to persistent, constant temptation as a Christian. Let me remind you, that's going to cost you because sin always comes with a price. However, can I encourage you that you're not doomed to keep walking that sinful path? The more you walk it, the easier it becomes. But you can choose through Christ to do something different. You need to deal with it. 
You need to make a plan. Maybe you need to confess your struggle with God and with somebody else. Maybe this morning you're here and you're mad at God because of something that happened, because of a trial you went through, because of a struggle. Maybe you've sort of just been agitated at God for a while now, but God never promised us we were going to have it easy. As a matter of fact, he was honest and he told us the opposite. You're going to have some hard times. It's not God's fault that you're going through that difficult time. It's because we live in a fallen world. And sometimes the reason I go through difficult times is because I've been, for lack of a better word, stupid. You know, the old game, you, 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 the old saying, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Sometimes I play stupid games. And sometimes that's part of it. But I shouldn't be mad at God. He, he gives us an accurate picture. Or maybe you're here this morning. And I'm sorry, but you're going through a difficult season. It's just a difficult time. And maybe you feel like there's more on your plate than you can reasonably handle. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. I don't know. Maybe it's problems with your kids. Maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's just a, a, a moment or a season of sadness where you feel like you have every reason to be happy, but you just can't be happy. Can I remind you this, this morning? Hear my words. God's grace is sufficient for you. That Christ will never leave you or forsake you. That there's nothing height nor depth nor east nor west, not even hell itself will separate you, Christian, from the love of God. Trust him. He loves you. He's good. His grace is sufficient. And he won't give you more than he can handle.